All right, welcome back to Hair Metal Memories. We are your hosts. I'm Brian, and I am Aaron. And uh, we got a couple couple good housekeeping things here at the beginning today. Um, we're hopefully going to have a guest on this episode if all goes well, because uh, I was able to learn how to do conference calls during this uh, uh, coronavirus time. Uh, it, it, we only have one input for uh, the call-in guest, and right now with social distancing and stuff, uh, Aaron's calling in. But I think we're going to add a friend later on for part two. Um, so cross our fingers for that. That'll be nice to get back to a little bit of normalcy there. Um, we also have, uh, another announcement. We're going to have a contest. Um, we're going to play that, uh, theme song you guys hear at the beginning of uh, every episode. There is a full length version of that. It is a cobbled together, um, collage of great hair metal guitar solos, uh, from that era. Um, we never get to play the whole thing because it's like, it's probably a minute long, which is too long for podcast world. So what we're going to do is at the end of this episode, uh, we'll have the full hair metal memories theme song. Um, and then we want you guys to try and guess what the solos are. And if you can name them in order, uh, you win the contest. Um, so you can send your contest entries to hair metal memories, Iowa at gmail.com. Um, we encourage you to do so. And the winner of it will get a hair metal mixed disc curated by Aaron and myself, um, that we will send you. And with much thanks, and we'll mention you on the air and, and all of that good stuff. So um, so we hope you'll like uh, take a listen at the end of this and uh, and let us know what you think of the, you know, see if you have any guesses, if you can place all of the different guitar stuff from it. And part of the reason we're doing this is uh, we're going to retire that theme song and we're going to compose something original here in just a little bit. But more on that later. Um, and another announcement is there's more, there's, there's even yet more. <laughs> this is our ninth episode. Uh, and the way that, uh, anchor the service that hosts our podcast does things is that it, you can have it in seasons. And, uh, so we've decided that 10 se- 10 episodes will constitute a season because all of our flav- favorite Netflix shows basically have 10 episodes. Um, so for our next episode, we want to do something really special. Uh, we want to have it be an all call in show. Um, so we want you guys to be able to call in and we'll just talk to you about whatever you want to talk about in the hair metal world. Um, if you're interested in being a guest on that, uh, it will take a little bit of logistics just so we don't have everybody calling at once. We don't have a fancy switchboard or anything like that. We'll have to like work it out in advance, uh, and put it together. But, uh, um, also send us an email at hair metal memories, Iowa at gmail.com or send us a message on our Facebook page. And I think awesome. There we go. Yeah. Nine episodes. It's, that doesn't seem real, but here we I'm are. I'm surprised we've made this many. So, hey, whatever. Me we get too. to keep going. It's great. Yeah. We've, we've decided to make at least one more. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but please do contact us, though. We would love to talk to you on the air. Um, it can be about hair metal. It can be about other stuff, too. It, whatever you want to do. We'll have a special episode for that just to round out our first season. Uh, so today we're going to talk about the album Extreme, the, or by the band Extreme, Three Sides to Every Story. It gets confusing in the title because it's Extreme, Extreme Three, Three Sides to Every Story. Basically. I know, I kept wanting to say the three part <laughs> twice. Yeah, so. But there's no reason to do that. Yeah, <sighs> and this is their magnum opus, I would say. Um, it is. And, it's, it's the longest album we've talked about on this show. Definitely. Yeah, and, and I'm. I'm pretty excited about this one. Um, so let's just dig right in, I guess. Uh, I don't, not a whole lot of background on this one, really. Uh, there's, uh, um, 
Extremer from Boston. Uh, this album came out in 1992. Um, it was on the heels of their immensely successful album, Porno Graffiti, uh, which went double platinum, uh, mostly on the strength of the song More Than Words, um, which I'm positive most people have heard. If not, you can Google it and pull it up. Yeah, it's readily. out there. It's yeah. pretty readily available. Yeah, it, it was an enormous hit for them, and they, they sold a lot of albums. Uh, so then they got wildly ambitious, and they decided to do something major on uh, on this one for their third album. And they... And test the limits of the physical medium. Yes, they did. <laughs> yeah. They they made so much music that didn't fit on a CD. Um and it was kind of, it was considered a failure. It, Which is funny because it sold 700,000 copies. By today's standards, by modern standards right now, you're talking about a monster record. Yeah, exactly. But in 1992, from a band that had two straight albums go double platinum, you have officially failed. Right, yeah. And it ended up uh, breaking up the band for a little bit after that uh, and, and and stuff, which is which is just wild. Uh, but that's, uh, I mean, that's like when you approach things from that sales world, the way record labels did back then and somewhat still now, I guess, um, you know, when you look at the figures, it's always sort of like, well, we want the numbers on the next one to go up. And when, when you go from 2 million down to 700,000, that seems like, you know, oh, that's a failure, but man. Uh, and we wonder why the former model of record labels is failing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but this album... You couldn't reach every single person in America. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, even a platinum record, that's a lot of records you just sold. That's a lot of people. I mean... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's it's really strange how the music industry has very much been skewed. Uh, You can see why it collapsed under its own weight, and and that's probably why a lot of, you know, we've had this conversation before about grunge uh, and, and, you know, and the return of punk rock kind of like uh, sealing the death knell of hair metal, sort of. I don't know. I don't entirely believe that, but uh, um, that that might be part of why. People got so sick of the bloatedness of, you know, the record. It got industry. really, yeah. The, the the concept of making a record became a really protracted affair. Yeah. And uh, the and, and being able to uh, cater to your every compositional whim isn't always the best idea. Uh-huh. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But this album was, they really did put the, a lot of work and a lot of thought and a lot of creativity into it. And it was it was the band's favorite album. And of, of the fans in the band, it was their favorite album, too. It was a crit- Oh, I can see why. Yeah, it was a crit- critical success. It just didn't have a song like More Than Words on it that, like, you know, catapulted them into sales, you know. Well, no, because the songs you get on here that are the slower songs aren't aren't ballads no that way <laughs> they are not they're, they're slower songs but they're no. not yeah that it, it's just they're they just happen to be slower <laughs> right yeah and we'll definitely talk more about that mm-hmm. <laughs> um i i kind of want to the the band stories on this don't really there aren't a lot of band stories i know we usually go through the band members and stuff like that um but i'd actually like to start out talking about like our stories discovering this album like how did you how did you come across this album this is actually one that i got when it came out oh wow that's the first yes. one in our in on in, in our podcast that, that yes that it is okay 
uh, and the way because I knew who Extreme was starting with the first album because as one of those kids who watched MTV constantly, I saw the video for Kid Ego like when it was new, and I thought they were a really cool band. And uh, but I never got that album. And then like I had a friend who had one of those cool older brothers who had pornography, and I listened to that and thought it was super cool. So you know by the time of this album, I had already like gotten into the idea of like purchasing albums for myself. And I remembered really liking these guys. And I, so I, when this came out, I went and got it and, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I always thought the singles were really good. Mm-hmm. I, I do remember at the time, like thinking it was really long. Cause I, you know, yeah. I started buying, I started buying music early enough that I, that most of the albums I owned were of the, what we'll say pre digital era length. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, you're talking about records that were set up to be between like 39 and 44 minutes long, with the exception of of Hysteria. But that's that's yeah. a whole other yeah. whole other uh, thing. Um, but yeah, I remember getting this and just thinking, boy, there's like a lot of songs on here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is a lot of songs. It, it is it is wildly ambitious. There's 14 songs on it um by my count and and that's after cutting a song yep the uh the the cassette which the version i had was cassette so i remember this i remember this song being on there i don't really remember the song super well in and of itself but i was listening to the digital version to assess this and notice that the song don't leave me alone is not on there i mean in you know in the digital world the the space limitations aren't an issue so it makes me wonder if the master for it is simply not available anymore Mm -hmm. yeah i thought that was kind of weird i was reading i haven't heard that song still so that's kind of that's kind of weird, but uh, in- because you see, A uh, and M was part of Universal, and Universal had the giant fire. That's right. That's right. So that- it would not surprise me if we uh, just simply do not have that song available anymore. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious though, because in the in the process of researching this stuff, uh, um, I read that uh, Nuno Betancourt um, said that like cutting the song off of uh, the CD version of it was like chopping his arm off. He, he, yep. he really didn't want to lose the song. So, but I mean, you know, it wasn't going to fit on a CD. It right, just don't. Right, it yeah. just, <laughs> <laughs> yep, there's, now, there's theoretically, some. you could have done, they could have done something like, say, cut the song before it, and you would just sneak under the wire right. of the physical limitations of a CD. But, well, yeah. You know. <laughs> Not much you can do about that. You wrote no. eighty some minutes worth of stuff, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, and for me, uh, I I heard more than words when it came out. I was definitely into hair metal. I was in college when that came, when it came out, uh, um, and so I bought Extreme Two Porno Graffiti. Um, loved it. Um, was pretty well immersed in it that uh flight of the wounded bumblebee on that album that is like one of those guitar prowess sort of like uh achievement things uh um where it's just so goddamn fast that like if you're any kind of guitar head at all hearing that it's like one of those moments um where i mean it's it's just so fast and 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 it was impressive to me at the time you know it's the guitar world equivalent of putting up video game stats like in a football game (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly it is you're listening to that going well how do you how are you doing that yeah come on yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, huh. so I got really into it mostly because of Nuno Betancourt's guitar playing. Um, I liked the songs on it a lot, and it was like really unusual um, compared to most hair metal I was listening to. I mean, they were a little bit more ambitious in their topics, you know. They were, yeah. Gary Sharon, the, the singer, and, and he, he and Nuno like wrote the lyrics together, but their lyrics are just a little bit. They're they're a lot more like. And he kind of has a humor to him, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll definitely get to more about the lyrics when we get into this album a little bit. But uh, um, yeah, so then after that, I after discovering you know um, you know the Bumblebee song, then I discovered that they had a song on the Bill and Ted soundtrack. Um, yeah, off of their first album, "Play with Me," and that also has some wild guitar playing in it. Um, and when I when I connected the dots that that was the same band, I was just like, oh wow. Um, and then I and then right after that. They played this Freddie Mercury tribute concert. That yep, that uh, was uh, uh, what August of '92. Uh, yeah, and so I watched that on TV when it came out, and I was blown away because I was also a huge Queen fan. Uh, oh yeah, dude, I downloaded a bootleg of that whole concert. Yeah, it's it's super good all the way through. I mean, they got you know, you, you get to see Elton John and Axl Rose duetting, and uh, um, Def Leppard and Queen do you know like we're, I mean. The, the surviving members of Queen played with a lot of different people, and then they just had people just play. And, and, and George were, Michael had a freaking awesome set at that. Yeah, he did. He, he it was, was really good. Yeah, there was talk for a while of uh, George Michael joining Queen after that because he did such a great job. Um, really? Yeah, for a while he was being considered for being the singer for Queen, which I thought would have— did not know that. That would have been fantastic. That would have been an interesting choice. I would have loved that. I, I would have thought it was cool, too. <laughs> Um, yeah, but they extreme did a medley of queen songs, which was because they were kind of the only ones that could maybe, I don't know. Uh, a lot of other people did like, they chose like one queen song or something like that. And then did like, you know, their normal stuff, but extreme really blew the walls off. In my view, they, they did a medley of queen songs that included love of my life. And it was just Gary Sharon and Nuno and Nuno just nailed all those, you know, really cool um, Brian May classical sounding guitar parts to that song. Um, and I was just floored. I was like, man, these guys are like one of the best. Oh, and- apparently Brian May had nothing but extraordinarily complimentary things to say about that band. Yeah. Yeah. He was very complimentary to him. And then uh, Gary Sharon sang Hammer to Fall with the surviving members of Queen at that show, which was you know, uh, is still kind of up there for one of my favorite Queen songs, just because you don't hear it as often. It's a good rocker. Um, so, it, so all this stuff was loaded in my my chamber, I guess. Uh, and then they announced that the third album, Extreme Three, was coming out. And uh, so I, this is one of the first albums that I looked at what the release date was and went to the store the day that it came out and bought it. Um, before that, I was just sort of like happy to buy whatever I happened to be in the music store and getting. But this one, I actually, you know, set my calendar to and couldn't wait to come in and and stuff like that and picked it up so i was jonesing for it so i'm so i'm super stoked for this episode as a result because i this is uh, another one of those memories for me that uh is is a lot of the reason that i you know really enjoy doing the podcast so um absolutely that's cool you know. let's let's talk okay so now now that we've gotten the album let's talk about let's talk about it a little bit um this is a it's kind of a loose concept album it's not like the wall or anything where there's a narrative. No, it's not it. necessarily <laughs> a straight narrative, but no, they, uh, everything's grouped into into like conceptual, you know, groupings or whatever. 
Yeah, there's a uh, there. I mean, it's, it's taken from the Mark Twain quote: three sides to every story, yours, mine, and the truth." And so that's how they that's how they group the section. There's there's three sections called yours, one called mine, and one the truth. The the yours section starts out, and it's kind of what extreme is no, was known for at that point, where it's like hard rock tunes. Um, and and they had some political subjects, uh, which kind of most of that whole thing is political subjects. Yeah. Almost that whole, that, almost that whole section. The whole section is, is a political subject, and and it's a lot more like porno graffiti was. Um, so they're they kind of like start out like, hey, remember us? We're you know, you know, this is what we're what you're used to us. Uh, and then the next section, mine, is that's a lot more introspective material. With like uh, with like really experimenting with arrangements, and it was like less about like playing your ass off and more about like arrangements. Um, there's like more acoustic kinds of things on there, and the lyrics are a lot more, you know, definitely more introspective than what they they normally do. Um, and then the truth is like a three part opus with a seventy piece orchestra, yep. the big ambitious part with yeah. the uh, Abbey yeah. Road look recorded strings. Yeah, they recorded an orchestra at Abbey Road, and Nuno Betancourt composed and arranged all those parts for the orchestra, which just that guy, that blows me away. I mean, he definitely must yeah, have some music. <laughs> yeah, um, and and it's, and, and it's more of like a it's more like more like prog rock. I think is kind of. It, it sounds more like a prog rock album, mostly because of the orchestra, I guess. But um, but the, the songs are extra long on, on that last section, and uh, um, they are all long. Yeah. Um, the The album was produced by Bob St. John, who is not someone I was very familiar with, honestly. I did not know that name either. He has a very long list of credits. Yeah, he does. I, He's not one of the household names you think of for this stuff, though. Um, well, no, and a lot of his stuff is engineering or graphic design or mastering. Yeah. Uh, He's worked with with uh, Extreme for years. I see he did a whole bunch of work with like Collective Soul. Yeah. Um, a lot of the other names that are on his resume aren't people I super recognize. He did he did mix a uh, Dokken record. He did a Dokken record. He's done some Hootie and the Blowfish stuff. Yep. He did a Durant, he did some Duran Duran stuff, which I thought was kind of impressive. And uh, but he's done all and he's did a bunch of other stuff. He's done a lot of like world music kinds of things too. Yes, the dude's um, list is incredibly long. It's just mostly stuff that I am in no way familiar with. Yeah, but he's done all five extreme albums, so he's uh, he's definitely one of those guys. Um, and and you know, again, in the process of learning about him, he he doesn't even have a Wikipedia entry. That's how. Like, nope. That's how. Well, it looks like before this album, he mostly had just done mixing. Yeah, yeah. So he's done these things that have like sold millions and millions of albums um but he's not quite up there in that same name group that like you know your rick rubens and all those people are which i thought was really weird um i went to his yeah he has a website where he lists the stuff that he did and he basically is saying that he's available which i which i thought was kind of interesting so um, (laughs) you know i just thought wow we could get bob st john to produce our next album maybe you know Um, there you go man (laughs) um there's not a lot of interesting background stories to extreme. They're pretty much just, you know, they got the together. The closest I got was that there was like a like a rumor that or like a story that had floated around that the origin of their band came from uh the members of the, the members of Extreme were were playing in separate bands at one point and there was a a fight about a dressing room for a show and that after differences were resolved they ended up joining a band together i'm not sure how solid the story is i found it referenced uh i had i had to do some digging i was looking for interviews 
yeah. of just anything I could find with members of extreme and yeah. found a page out there somewhere that mentioned it. So let's just say that I found it. It was like a fan site reference. So it's out there. I can't verify it. <laughs> yeah. The, they, they got their name basically because uh, Gary Sharon was in a band called dream. And then when he, when they broke up and he started and he met like the other members of the band, um, they, at first they're, you know, they're, they called it X dream because you know, he wasn't with dream anymore. And then it got just shortened into extreme. <laughs> well played gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of a weird story, but, uh, um, Nuno Betancourt was born in Portugal, which is kind of interesting, I guess. And, uh, and he was a high school dropout. He got really obsessed with playing guitar to the point where he, that's all he wanted to do. And he didn't finish high school. Um, he also, he played rhythm guitar on Janet Jackson's black cat single. Yep. I do remember that factoid. Yeah. Yeah. That was new information for me. I, I, you know, I, I'm used to the Vernon Reed plays the lead on that. So like I, I knew Cause he's I knew not on the album version. Yeah, yeah, but, that, but I thought that was. Kind I have of cool. the album for. I just listened to Rhythm Nation like a week ago. Oh, yeah, that's a fabulous album. I mean, that's completely. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, and Nuno also produced Dweezil Zappa's album Confessions, which I thought was an interesting bit. He, he he's done a little bit of production work, so I thought that was kind of neat. Yes, that was something I saw out there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and he went. He he's played with uh, um, Perry Farrell in a group called Satellite Party. Satellite Party. Yeah, who I actually saw. I remember at one point Perry Farrell introducing Nuno from the stage, and I was like, "Holy shit, is that Nuno Betancourt?" Because um, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I, I just thought that was a weird mix. But like, well, uh, and I know that the 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 guy who ended up being the drummer in in Extreme in some in their later years was also in Satellite Party as well. Yeah, that's right. There's a little bit of a crossover thing there where, again, where people like end up playing together and, and just, you know, it's like, hey, I'm just going to call my buddy quick. <laughs> yep. Uh, I know a guy who's available. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, their drummer, Paul Geary, quit the band uh, after this album uh, in 1994 to go into. He did record all the drums for the next record. Yeah. Well, except for like, I'm sorry, except for uh, uh, like three songs. Yeah. Yeah, so he so he finished out. Yeah, that's right. For the next the next album, he did like most of the drums, and then he quit and he went into artist management, which is uh, that's an unusual path for um, a lot of musicians. Um, it's what he's been doing since. Yeah, and he's he he signed Godsmack. Yep, and that was one of his first. Yeah, so that put him on the map, and they sold you know like 10 million albums or something like that, I think. And, uh, he's managed the smashing pumpkins and Joe Perry and Johnny Depp's music career and the scorpions, the scorpions. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he's done pretty well for himself in the artist management world. Definitely more stable work than being a touring drummer. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he was, uh, succeeded in extreme by Michael Mangini. I don't know. If yep, that, Mike Mangini, who yeah. uh, who who uh, is in uh, Dream Theater now. Yeah, Dream Theater, and has played with Steve Vai, and he has set five of the world's fastest drummer records, which I thought was. Oh cool. wow! <laughs> <laughs> and taught at Berkeley. You know, he's another one of those musicians, musicians kind of a guy. Yep, he gave up his. If I remember right, he actually gave up his post at Berkeley to go drum for Dream Theater. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, it makes that that's a good gig. I don't <laughs> don't blame him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, after Extreme broke up, uh, probably the most, the biggest thing that happened was Gary Sharon did a one album stint with Van Halen. Um, uh, yes. It did not go well um, because, you know, an Extreme with his own band, he can kind of get away with singing about deeper subjects and things like that. And uh, that didn't go over well with Van Halen's audience. So, uh, no. Um, um, so he, he did one, and, I, and I, I read that they recorded another album. A second album. Uh, oh yeah, because, no, I mean, the, I, I remember reading about that when it happened. Yeah, the ba- the band really liked him as a singer, and and they really liked that direction. They wanted to be more serious about you know their topics and stuff, but uh, but the re- the record label wouldn't put it out, and so Gary Schrone quit. Nope. He amicably quit, um, and he's done things like uh, he played with the other half, which is like ex Van Halen people, so Sammy Hagar, Michael Anthony. So, yes. so, so Gary Sharon gets to have that magic ability to walk between worlds where he's still friends with the, the Van Halen brothers and the surviving Van Halen members. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a tricky one. There's not a lot of those uh, people. Yeah. He also, uh, he also did a stint. There was a, uh, uh, uh Mike Portnoy did a, uh, tribute to the who called amazing journey mm-hmm. where they like, played Tommy and I believe he served as the vocalist for that. Yeah, yeah, Gary Sharon is a huge Who fan. He has his he has his own Who band called Slip Kid and uh with yep. the, that he's in with his brother, which uh um which is pretty cool. I'm a big Who fan too. So I can, I don't I don't hear a lot of the Who in Extremes music, but um You really don't. Yeah, but I can I could see I could hear where his voice would be able to be a good Roger Daltrey though. Yes, I, I do hear that. I he he's got that he's got a, the the proper uh, sort of a gruffness to it, you know. Yeah. And uh, and after the breakup, uh, another interesting thing I thought was funny was Nuno uh, toured with, did some production work, and did guitar work with Rihanna. Yeah, I yeah. Thought. I I found some interviews with him where he was asked about doing it, and he was kind of like, "Well, it's kind of odd that you want me because her music doesn't really have any guitars in it." Right. They told him, well, no, that, that's the whole reason she wants you there to like thicken it up and like rock it out. And you're pretty much free to do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Which is, that's an amazing fit and, and good for her for picking him. It's like sort of like, man. no, that's super cool. Yeah. <laughs> for that. That's awesome. And, and then, and then everybody kind of did some solo projects and things like that. Um, and eventually the band reformed. Um, and, and I thought this was kind of cool. They toured with King's X, which this, we've mentioned King's X a couple times, so uh, yeah, this is I, a King's X uh, friendly podcast. Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah, we, we we really need to cover them for an episode at some point. And, yes, <laughs> and they also did a 2008 Australian tour with Mr. Big, who is another one that I that I think we should probably get to at some point. Yeah, probably should. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um so that's our background. Let's uh, let's talk about the record. Dig into it. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I to me, like, I mean, it, you know, what stands out first and foremost is like just the baller playing that, you know, everybody's doing their A game on this one. It's just like, yes, it's, it's a tour to before primarily by Nuno. I mean, that guy is just he's playing his ass off. He's unleashed. He's a uh, you know, but he's also being unleashed. He's showing a remarkable amount of restraint, too. Um, oh, yeah. He's really good at pulling back when it's time to pull back and just be, yeah. you know. Do his thing. Yeah, the tunes are all great. It's really good songwriting, um, and it's there's a lot of like pop sensibilities that they start throwing in here that um, I don't know if that existed before. 
it's an interesting combination that like rocks really hard, but yeah, it is definitely has like a pop edge to it. And I actually noticed, you know, I, I noted that uh, Paul Geary doesn't get nearly enough mention for how awesome of a drummer he was for his, the dude's got a tiny discography, but he's really good at what he does. <laughs> he is really good at what he does. Yeah. Yeah. And you can tell that the, everybody in the band has listened to a lot of music. I mean, there's just all kinds of styles going on in this thing. And, yeah. And, and they, under, um, they understand the styles too. Is like, they know how to reproduce them and they understand how they work. I was also, it's one of the other things that I kind of noted about them is they're one of the bands that are like, where you can tell that they're really into the Beatles and Queen, but really understand how to like use the influence to still be their own, but just, you know, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and like we sort of have alluded to the lyrics are way deeper than your typical hair metal band. Um, yeah. So it, this, it puts these guys as even more of a, more of an outlier and even in the context of the ones we want to talk about, you know? Yeah. Yeah, a, a lot of the songs on this album clock in at over five and six minutes. So uh, that's one of the things I was noticing. Yeah, like there's one song that's two minutes. Yeah, and then like the next shortest <laughs> song is four. Every other <laughs> song is thick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is very much a statement album. I think. I think they were trying to like make a statement and really, really be ambitious. Really, just uh, go for it and be one of those one of those big bands, you know, like they wanted to be like a Led Zeppelin or a Beatles for the modern era or, or, or queen. I mean, queen was like some of their idols. So yeah, there's a lot of queen in their sound too. Yeah. Yeah. They were really, really going for it. I think. Um, and the other thing that kind of stood out to me that I hadn't noticed before, um, you know, I listen, I listened to this thing a ton back in the day, so it's pretty well-trodden territory, but now through like, you know, modern eyes and, you know, and you know, the passage of time and all that stuff, this is really kind of in, in this day and age, they would probably release this as three EPs because yes, because each, well, each, each, okay, each here's the thing. Like, and I actually made a note about this because I kind of divided up my notes as like among the, the sections of the album. Yeah, me too. Cool. This, this, <laughs> this first section, the first six songs is over a half an hour. Right. Yeah. Like that Faster Pussycat record we talked about, I know this is an odd comparison or whatever, but it's yeah. like maybe 39 minutes. Yeah. So just the first section of their record is almost, is, is you know, a huge chunk of the of the running time of a lot of these other albums. Yeah, and, and each one of the sections, I mean, to their credit, they, they wanted to have different sections and have them be different. They sound very different, and they're, they definitely are. It is, it's like three EPs on one album. Yes, it is. It is. It's a... And I mean that last section is like an LP side on itself by itself. I'm getting ahead of it myself ourselves here, but uh, yeah, that whole final section is like one side of a record. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, it's 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 sort of a strange mix, and I don't think you know. Um, but EPs were not very common back then, so I'm no, sure. No, the EP was pretty much an indie only thing. By the time you get to like into the back half of the '80s, into the '90s, EPs just you don't see them. Right. So it wasn't, you know, a good thing to do back then. So they, they went the other way. They go, rather than, you know, putting out this stuff in different sections, we're going to like put out just one huge slew of material. I mean, they well, all- that was a thing in the early nineties, you know, the, the feeling of a lack of restraint with the uh-huh. digital medium, you know, CDs yep. could hold so much more music. So my album is going to be this much longer now, you know, yeah, I've got- I think this is the first album that we've talked about. That's probably actually, one that was um, 
you know, constructed with the digital era in mind. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. It's like all the other, I I don't think, I think this is the first one we've talked about from the nineties. Correct. Yeah, it is. That's true. Good point. And not just, and not just like 1990, but like th- this is the first album we've talked about. That's like a, what, what we could call a, um, a post Nirvana album. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's probably one of the few that will ever come up on this show. Yeah. Cause hair metal was pretty much over by then, which you like know. the, yeah, the fact that it's even got to come out on A&M at the time is kind of impressive in and of itself. Yeah, so kudos to them for still, like, you know, trying to do an ambitious album at the death of hair metal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's bad and They timing. really tried. Yeah. But anyhow, yeah. I suppose we have digressed quite a ways yeah, no, here. That's okay. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the point. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, I got it. So uh, side one, yours. We, we start off with uh, Warheads. Which uh, to me, starting out, I mean, it's it's, it's kind of like a funnier Pink Floyd opening. <laughs> yeah, with the little kids saying "Yes, Daddy," and there's like sirens and helicopters and stuff. I kind of noticed that the intro didn't age quite as well as the rest of the song. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it still rocks. It's a great tune. It is. And, um, and yeah. I love the little the harmonic outro with the vocals. It's really good. Yeah, and there's that ripping guitar break to you know in there that, that that helps kick off the album where you're like, okay, these guys are just you know giving it to you right away. <laughs> yeah, and I looked at it, you know, I look at the credits. Everybody in the band does backing vocals. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Like literally, everybody in the band vo- has has a vocal credit on the record. Oh, I, I assumed that was just Nuno and Gary. So, uh, huh, cool. So, no, uh, that that's the whole band is able to sing like that. I yeah. call it the Def Leppard effect. The Def Leppard effect. I like that. Because <laughs> everybody yeah. in that band can sing. <laughs> and it, it's kind of like, it's kind of a peacenik rocker, which I, I wonder how that went over back then. You know, I, I don't. Yeah, I, it, it does seem like a lot of the, especially this song, but a lot of the things they're touting on here would be just like not really in the wheelhouse of your average like rock listener yeah exactly yeah they're like uh we're a hair metal band and we're we're, we're preaching about peace <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah yeah so we go from warheads you know a song about war and making fun of people who were into war to the next song which is rest in peace which is about peace so and i remember when this video premiered on mtv uh, yeah this is this is the first song i heard off the album i don't know if i've seen Me the too. video I think I it's heard a good song. video. Huh. I'll have to check it that out. It actually leads to one of my favorite notes about this. Uh, it, the, 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 the two songs that had the big videos, well, I guess there were there were more videos, uh, but uh, the, the two most popularly played videos off the album were like two of the longer songs from the first two parts. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> but anyway, yes, this one had a really cool video for the time. Hmm. And it it's also it makes it all the more impressive that AM was willing to spend that sort of budget on a video for a rock band of this type in nineteen ninety two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this this song has the first mention of hypocrisy in it, which becomes a theme throughout the rest of the album I sort of sure does <laughs> i know that the that opening riff is like insanely like detailed it, for it, just like being like an intro riff it just has so much going on in it it does he really mixes it up in his playing um you know and then he repeats it later on and ends up quoting voodoo child by Jimi hendrix for some reason <laughs> Yeah, you know, 
guitar players yeah like to quote things and it's kind of awesome like yeah. that yeah and there's there's a lot of musical quotes on this album he, he takes uh you know quotes from the beatles and queen and all kinds of stuff and just sort of repurposes them for their songs and actually um, to that note that hypocrisy bit i really like how the backing vocal and the lead vocal work right there mm-hmm. because like their lines begin and end at like sort of a similar spot right there. So, you know, you get the, you get the lead coming back in early to, to finish the, to finish the uh, line. I, I just like that a lot. Yeah. I think it's good. It is nice little touches. Uh, yeah. It's a, that's uh, a cleverly produced touch there. It's, it's, it's very clever. It's like one of those things that the Beatles or queen would think of, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. These guys are <laughs> definitely willing to get down into the details of stuff and, and, you know, um, I, and I also thought, because we, we went from war on the first track to peace here, I, I kind of, I made a note, like, is this the most hippie hair metal album ever? Right? <laughs> you know, that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think you have something there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so then we go from that to the third song, which is Political Calamity. Political Calamity. Political Calamity. Political Calamity. That's hard to say. <laughs> um yeah, and this song is super funky. These uh, I, I made the same note. I said for a rock band, these guys get really funky sometimes. <laughs> they do. They 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 could have been just a straight up funk band and done probably pretty well for themselves. Um, you know, they and they incorporated lots of other stuff, but they do funk really well. So, um, and this song is like uh, it made me think they were mostly talking. You know, I was trying to put it back into the time that it was released. Um, and they're mostly talking about the Cold War. Um, it seems, but most of the stuff could be about things that are going on right now, for sure. In terms of politics, they have that metaphor that's like about the political zoo where they talk about donkeys, bears, and elephants, um, you know, and the, mm-hmm. and the bears being the cold war element, of course, but you know, Hey, Russia's made a comeback. So it's, a uh, you know, just as relevant now. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. This is another one where I was actually, uh, my favorite thing about the song was was the work of uh, was the work of Paul Geary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's holding, he's holding down the fort there a lot, and 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 that uh, I also noticed that even with the horns, it still doesn't feel like a like a really excessive tune. No, it doesn't. It still seems. I think we also get back to it's because it's probably also one of the first like. Uh, 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 albums we've talked about on this show that doesn't have that huge drum production. Right. Like yeah. his kit sounds like a little bit more normal and it just. Yeah. <laughs> it's not all gated and verbed out and all that stuff. It's just like, it's yep. like this is a guy who knows how to play drums and it's just mic'd really well. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I, I'm really fond of that. Yeah. And I think this song is a good, a good one for that. Yeah. And then uh, the next song, Color Me Blind. Um, so we, we've gone from war and peace and politics, and now we're tackling racism. <laughs> uh, you know, and I made another note. Man, this album could have come out yesterday. I mean, yep. this is, you know, uh, just reading the news today about a lot of, like, you know, modern-day racism, stuff like that. If, if I mean – it's hard to compare and I don't want to get too political on the show or anything like that. But right. I, uh, I did make a note though, that it was a thing that they were fond of in the early nineties was using color blindness as a, uh, yeah. As a, a, a racial acceptance device. And I don't really feel like getting into it right now. I was like, oh, that's maybe not the best way to go about it, but I mean, okay, I get well, it. You're in the right place or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, and their metaphor is, uh, he's like, um, you know, he's like, why do we dream in black and white? Um, and that made me think like, we don't, 
<laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of a, I don't know if like the science back then wasn't, wasn't there or something like that, or they hadn't done the studies or something like that, but they've, they've since proven that we, we do dream in color and that's fairly common actually. So, um, so it's kind of a bad metaphor, but, but their hearts are in the right so it place. Is one so. of the spots. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's ultimately it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then we go to Cupid's Dead, which is also super funky. I really enjoyed at the beginning, like uh, the bass and guitar sound like they're like doing like the same thing. And it's like, yeah, it's kind of that, that Vi Sheehan thing from some of the David Lee Roth stuff. Yeah. 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 They kind of like they're 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 sticking together for a while and then they start to veer off a little bit. And it's which makes it even that much funkier somehow because they're pushing and pulling a little bit with the beat. Um, and. And so on this one, they're tackling love, and this is this also has the album title in the lyric, and 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 the way they tackle love, I think most my you know if I had to boil it down, I think what they're basically saying is don't be sad when you break up, you'll get over it and find love again. <laughs> that seems to be the theme of the song to me, anyway. I thought it kind of had a media bent to it too, honestly. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, and the, it it delves into it a little bit, and yeah. it kind of kind of ties the those two things together. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of great imagery in the song, yeah. though, and there's that badass rhythmic funk workout at the end of it, where where they're just playing with the beat and they're playing with the riffs and stuff like that, and it's just like it's. Um, oh, I mentioned this. <laughs> I, I think this song is this song some of uh, Pat's best work on on the album. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> It's yeah, it's that that's a really good. I don't know if if you're a rock band trying to play funk, you should totally listen to the the end section of Cupid's Dead because it's yes, uh, it, it's, it's a very good lesson it, on how to do yeah, it properly. It's, it's a master class in that. Um, and then we go to Peacemaker Die, which is kind of this is kind of our summary of peace, war, and racism all thrown together. Um, and it, and they even got to license a Martin Luther King sample from the I Have a Dream speech for it, um, which I imagine took some clearing. I don't know how easy that was to do back then. The, the, I I believe that they probably had to, you know, yeah, jump through a lot of hoops <laughs> to get clearance on that, and that's cool. Yeah, um, and say it's another one of those concepts that, like in rock, in probably that time, you just didn't really get a lot of it, right. Yeah, yeah, we're not we're not worried about poison like trying to clear a Martin Luther King sample <laughs> or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah, it really would be out of place in, in you know. Not saying that other music in the nineties didn't address it, but right. specifically within the sort of you know rock forum, you just didn't yeah. get a lot of this outside of maybe like <laughs> Guns N' Roses kind of started to dip into this a little bit. Yeah, around this time, but other than that, you just mm-hmm. didn't. And this song has a ripping guitar part that uh, oh geez, it's so good. Yeah, it 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 sort of seems to reference Hall of the Mountain King, but um, Nuno really does a good job with it. And this one I had uh, um, marked out as one we should play. Yeah, definitely. Right. Let's uh, let's play this quick.
do that's I don't know. Yeah. That's just nuts. <laughs> and that's a good way to round off uh, side one. Now we're into side two, which is the mine. Yours, mine, and the truth is mine. Um, and we have an immediate shift in tone. Oh, yeah. I thought it was pretty gutsy. I mean, they do like they just go straight from like, you know, fifth gear back down to you all the way down to zero. Yeah. Um, with a guitar free song. Right. <laughs> And track seven is seven Sundays. How about that? Right. That's just, man, it's like they planned, <laughs> like they planned it. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and I like this song a lot. It's, it's super Beatles-y. Um, and I like it how we go from all these big topics. We've tackled the world, basically, and tried to solve all the problems. And now we just have a guy who's wanting to spend time with his girlfriend. Um, but it's just so lush. And you can tell that they 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 want to sort of break away from hair metal at this point and be more ambitious. They've 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 you know they've given you the meat and now they kind of want to like you know they want to do something a little bit more subtle and a little bit something more meaningful. So they're hoping you're going to go along on the trip with them. Um, <laughs> My note on this was uh that this 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 song has a vocal harmony worthy of King's X. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that, <laughs> which is high praise. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so that's a great tune. And then the next song, Tragic Comic. Um, this is an acoustic number. Um, so that's also, we're mixing it up again. Um, I made the note, um, I made the note, well, that's a McCartney intro if ever there was one. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it totally is. Yeah. Right? But, that's but, that's totally like some like late 80s like Paul yeah. McCartney intro type stuff going on there. It is. And the same like bass tone and stuff too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but it's still kind of funky. It's, I mean, it, they managed to do, a, uh, they, they still are you know, managing to inject some funk into an acoustic tune, which is like, I don't know, that's kind of rad. Um, it's de- they were probably about the only people, at least in the world of like the really like you know the major label popular music who were blending that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I could totally hear um, Tragic Comic being like on '60s radio or something. I mean, yeah, it, it, yeah, it fits right in that. Yeah. And, you know, and lyrically, uh, it's again, it's another love song. It's a it's a, um, I sort of pictured a, like this song being about like a Jerry Lewis kind of character um, trying to impress a girl and failing. But you're still rooting for him. Beautiful lady. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like super catchy and just kind of charming and just, you know, and kind of kind of light and fluffy still, but like still like very endearing. Um uh, and then the next song is Our Father. And this song this song kind of like messed me up a little bit because I can't tell if this is a song about atheism with God being absent or whether it's about people relying too much on God and not having enough sense of self-responsibility or if it's just not so metaphorical and it's just literally about an absent father situation. That's the same note that I made to start it. Is it just, is it literally a tune of family estrangement or, you know, is this like a religious overtone song? Yeah. I mean, and it's placed, it's placed within the context of the record to where it could theoretically be either one of them. So it's kind of a clever move in that, you know, and it goes back to, you know, you kind of read into it what you want to have it. Right. Say. (laughs) Exactly. And it kind of works both ways. And there's parts, there's some lines in it where it kind of doesn't work both ways, where it's sort of, it's, yeah, it's a pretty complicated song. I mean, it's not, I mean, you know, 
it's not James Joyce or anything like that, but like uh, um, in terms of what what he's trying to say, it's like very convoluted and it makes it hard to tell. Um, and it's the second shortest song on the album at over four minutes. Yeah, and the this is this is another one where the vocal harmonies are really really solid. Uh-huh. They're really good, and and it kind of starts rocking out enough where it almost belongs in the yours section. It kind of it's like a callback a little bit to the. It's the, the rocking. It's probably the rockingest song in the section anyway. Yeah, it definitely is. So it's yeah. So that one's a little bit strange for me, but uh, I like the song. But there's a, it, it, it's one of those where I'm like, what's he getting at? <laughs> uh, stop the world. Um, my first note on this is, uh, but wouldn't we fall off? Uh. <laughs> and and this one is about, that was kind of a dad joke. I'm sorry. Uh, about stopping the world in a good spot and holding it there. And so this I is thought it was a very Beatly sounding song too. It is a very Beatly sound. And like it, maybe the most like overtly Beatly song on the record. Yeah. And this is a return to the peace and love theme again. Um, and it's, and this one I had marked for playing the guitar solo on it as well, because, uh, I think it's a very good choice. Yeah. Cause this is a very uncharacteristic guitar solo. Uh, just, it's way more subdued than what Nuno normally plays. Um, it's super melodic. Um, and it just, the way it's mixed is a lot different than the rest of the, the album. This is the only guitar solo on this album. And I think in all the extreme albums really that, that, that are mixed like this. So um, anyway, I'll shut up and describe it here. Let's just play. Like a totally different thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just love how melodic it is and how it, and, and after that, it goes into this really chill section in the middle where everybody kind of drops out and it's like this, uh, and it's really nice. It's like this breath of fresh air before the rest of the album, which gets really dense. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so this it has is, that cool little vocal, like stop before the end of the, before the last chorus. It's kind of hit. Yeah, it is. It's it's a nice little, nice little production nugget there. Yeah. I think the first time, uh, I played that on my CD player or through headphones when I heard it, I think I got goosebumps because <laughs> it was one of those moments where you're just like, at first it was like, Oh, the CD stop. What's going on with Oh, wait, they meant that. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's another thing that I'm like, I find great is that, you know, the three songs that were released as singles are all six minutes or longer. Yeah, that's kind of nuts. That's a long ass single. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, hey, man, that's guts. Yeah, it is cool. guts. Right yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, then we have God Isn't Dead, which is 
the shortest song on the album. This at two minutes and two seconds. And yeah. has the largest production of any song on the album. Right. <laughs> and it's the most dramatic moment on the record for sure. Um, oh, yeah. Gary Strone pulls out all the stops in the vocal delivery. Yep. And this is all like really. It's like a loss of faith and despair and, uh, you know, are things going to be okay? It's the, it's the big dramatic buildup moment before we, we tackle the less, the last section on the album. Um, I, I sort of debated this, uh, this, at one point I thought this is probably my least favorite song on the record, but the fact that it's only two minutes long makes me like it more. (laughs) (laughs) I have to spend less time with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, which makes yeah, it's because I thought, okay, well, they wanted to get this out there, and they and it had a purpose, but they at least were smart enough to trim it down and say, like, okay, we're not going to belabor the point. We're we're losing faith, and we're worried about despair. Next, all right. <laughs> and the next song in the running order is the one that is missing from what we all get to refer to on this uh, episode here. Yeah. That song is not in the digital editions of this album, which is really strange. I do unfortunately not own this album on LP uh, and uh, my cassette tape of it that I had uh, went wherever it is. Cassette tapes go (laughs) (laughs) to the great landfill in the sky. (laughs) That's right. So, yes, I I listened to this digitally, unlike every single other episode we've had. And so I have nothing to add for this song because I do not remember it. The last time I listened to it was like 1996 when I still had the tape. (laughs) Yeah. And I only had the CD, so I haven't heard it. So I have no commentary for it either. So Um, that closes. That is an interesting uh, way to close out the mine section (laughs) (laughs) with a song for which we can provide no commentary. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and that brings us up to the truth. And, you know, and my, I made a note on this, the epicness of it all, because that's, a, uh, <laughs> yeah, we've got three songs uh, that are really in, in some of the releases that it actually was only one song where they, they chose to keep them together and they didn't divide them up on the uh, digital editions. They do index it as one track. Yeah. Yeah. But this is, uh, but there, there's three different movements to it, I, I guess, or whatever you want to call them. Um, and they're, they're all called everything under the sun. Um, and the first part is called rise and shine and it's the shortest in this trilogy of songs at six minutes and 23 seconds. (laughs) Um, and (coughs) I think this is, uh, this is orchestral rock done well, I think. It's pretty tasteful. Yeah. This is more melodic than like Kansas. You know, like Kansas did a lot of like, you know, you know, or- orchestral work and stuff like that. Um, I think this is more melodic than a lot of that kind of prog rocky stuff. Um, I do think it kind of opened up with like, I mean, now with 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 a little bit uh, honestly better vocals, but it kind of has that, you know, how like ELP would throw in the track with the acoustic guitars, you know? Yeah. Kind of get a little bit of that ELP vibe, but only just with like, I don't know, better vocalists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm no, no, no diss on ELP because I love them, but I mean, yeah, you know, same. Vocalist, the, vo- the 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 vocalist uh, was like the fourth most important thing in the group. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm a huge Greg Lake fan. So, I mean, just from that. The first, oh, I think Greg yeah. Lake's awesome. But, I mean, yeah. you know. Right, yeah. This this is this is really well thought out and well done. Uh, there's a nice little flute passage in there, which is weird. Um, and the orchestra doesn't feel overdone, which is, you know, as we mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, Nuno did all of the arrangements and and, and composition stuff. And if, for being like a first-time composer, he did not get quotes, carried away with it. He didn't get carried away, which is always what rock musicians do when they have the opportunity. Oh, so, oh, you're giving me an orchestra? Well, I can't wait to dig into this. And then they always overdo it and they overcook things. Um, and Nuno didn't do that, which is nuts to me. That's amazing. And so. this is another part too, like – uh, this section is it really it's 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 just uh, as far as vocally is just Sharon and Betancourt just doing an awesome job of just pairing up with one another and playing off each other and stuff and yeah yeah you can tell they're really tag teaming this stuff pretty hard um, it was really good yeah and and this whole last section I, I probably should have mentioned this at the beginning but uh, um, I like normally when I would listen to the CD of this, I, a lot of times I would, I would stop at when I got to this part um, just because by this point, you know, you're like an hour in. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, I don't know if I need, you know, the three orchestral songs. I, I almost wish they would have put the, this part out separately. Um, and I think it would have done better for them because I mean, it really does hang together and really is, Cool. It does hang together well, but you also get to the fact that, but yeah, you're like 70 minutes, almost 70 or yeah. 65 minutes into an album by the time you get to this, you know? Yeah. And it's, so it's a lot to ask of people to like, okay, and now the big finale and it's like, well, I'm kind of fatigued. You, you already threw everything else at me. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's digress. But yeah, part two, am I ever going to change? This one's almost seven minutes. Um, and this section starts out like a pop song. But but it kicks into rock mode pretty quick. And it's not that any of these parts are necessarily 100% dependent on the whole to stand in order to work. But I, uh, this was the one that I thought more than of most of the three would have been the one that could have just stood on its own. Yeah. Yeah, it's the most fully realized song, and it gets referenced again in the third songs. So um, it, it, it is kind of like definitely the core of it. Um and this is we mentioned this earlier too. This is the, this is about being a hypocrite and about wanting to be a better person and being disappointed in yourself, um, which is pretty introspective stuff for hair metal. Um, yeah, there it, it's uh, decidedly less hedonistic than most of the other things we've listened to. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, most, mostly, yeah. Most of the other stuff is about like I want a girl and I want her to do things with me, and you know, and and, and all this stuff, and and this is not about that at all. This is a I, nope. I, yeah, and and I almost thought that was a little bit kind of like Christiany, uh, you know. Uh, in, well, there's in, a lot of religious overtone going on in here. Yeah, there's a lot of things about like you know he doesn't come right out and use the word salvation or any of that stuff, but you can really can tell he's kind of going through things, wanting to be a better person, looking to a higher power, and things like that. Um, and it all winds up in the last part. Who cares? <laughs> which, which is the longest section. <laughs> uh, my first comment was about seven hundred thousand people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> give, give or take at this point but yeah <laughs> yeah eight minutes and 19 seconds for this last section to wind up the whole album uh 
it gets a little psychedelic, I thought. With, with I mean, we have the orchestra and the band, but we have a little bit of psychedelia with the, like the phased background vocals and stuff in it. Um, my other vote, my other note on the song was vocoder. Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, uh-huh. it's probably a vocoder. It's probably not a phaser. It's, it's probably a vocoder. The, that makes that, sense. the thing that's uh, accompanying the lead vocal. I'm pretty sure yeah. that's a vocoder. Yeah, huh? I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this is uh, this song is probably where the strings get used the most powerfully. Um, he, he, they bring the strings back in and they're used really well, and it actually creates a powerful moment. Um, and the song is a little all over the place uh, in a in a really nice way, where they just stop and change time signatures and change modes and change mood, and uh, it shifts into a waltz at one point. Um, it's kind of more of a suite just within this one song that is part of another suite. It's almost like, you know, they got three sides to every story. And then we've got like these three songs at the end that kind of like act as a, as you know, a suite. And then we got this last song that kind of has three parts to it. So they're really going heavy with the three stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's going down the rabbit hole here, buddy. Yeah. Really, really. It's, it's the trilogy of trilogies. (laughs) But yeah, ultimately, like as much as I love everything, I do I I will agree with you. Don't let me go back to. It. I kind of wish this last section was its own thing. Yeah, if they put just out just their concept album and that was the, this that was album the is eighty one fifty one. Jeez, <laughs> it's just it's a lot. Of, that's a lot of album. That's a lot of album. Yeah, and you can you can tell this last song in particular is definitely meticulously crafted. They they did spend some time on it, and you can hear it where it went. Um, um, I also was a little bit like uh, Jesus is mentioned in the very first line of the song, and I wasn't sure quite what to make of that. Um, it's a uh, you know they they don't they don't overdo it. I guess uh, is it's not like it it doesn't sound like a Christian rock record or anything like that. But like there's, no, there's no. Like, there's like just a little moment where they kind of like maybe wink at you or something. But I don't get the impression that Extreme are like you know a full on Christian rock band. But yeah. No, 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 I wouldn't have got that impression either. <laughs> but anyway, that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff. We've, we've covered a lot of material and we've talked about this album a lot. Um, let's take a quick break and then bring on our special guest. All righty. All right. And we're back and we've got our special guest today, Jordan Blue Jack Void. How you doing, Jordan? Good, and you? Doing great. We're talking about the um, extreme album, Three Sides to Every Story today. Um, first, uh, just a quick introduction. Um, like a lot of our guests on the show, uh, Jordan is a musician here in Ames, Iowa. Um, goes by the name Blue Jack. Um, plays a lot of shows with, uh, or, or did until this you know virus stuff set in. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he, he plays a lot of solo shows and he has a band called Blue Jack too. So, uh, um, and I've gotten to know him really well over time as a musician. And I know that this is a, one of the albums that um that he was pretty passionate about too so he was he was the, the the obvious choice for this one <laughs> i'm really excited about it yeah. i love this album yeah uh tell us tell us about your, your your story with uh three sides to every story well i found out about hair metal in general in like 2005 or 2006 like oh. I was aware of like Guns N' Roses, but that was about it. Okay. And so my buddy Stoney, who is really good at guitar, 
showed me like docking and slaughter and all these other things I'd never heard of before. And then we got down to like Mr. Big and Extreme. Yeah. <laughs> I found out about Paul Gilbert and Nuno Betancourt and I lost my shit to be yeah. honest. Yeah. That's what sucked me in. Yeah. This album stuck out to me because it's kind of like every genre. And I really like that. Yeah. We kind of talked about that too, how they, they, they could have just been a pretty legit funk band if they wanted to, but they also like, were really into everything else. Yeah. I I think that the, like this album too, it has the general hair metal theme. There's lots of like the harmonizing and the choruses and stuff, but like sometimes it sounds like Aerosmithy, Beastie Boysy kind of vibes, and sometimes it's got like the classic mean metal, and then the the big dick energy blues chugs, and the, I, I really dig it. And sometimes it's classic hair metal, and they got so many of those like really bluesy chords that make it mean. Yeah, like like they're slow bluesy, quick bluesy, but they're always like. I don't know. It comes in right off, right out of rest in peace. It's got a lot of those uh, chuggy, bluesy. Yeah. Like, they're laying down the, the big dick vibe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, and I, we didn't even mention this and I totally forgot about it, but there's uh one of the songs that has a rap section in it. I forgot that yeah. we, we covered everything else. We forgot to mention the rap section in it. <laughs> it's like the Cupid one, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I think I think you guys could do a whole episode on Rest in Peace. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a killer tune. <laughs> I don't know that it's even my favorite song, but it's got a lot going on. It does have a it lot going on. It definitely has my, as I was pointing out earlier, it's like my favorite guitar intro of any of the songs. Oh, yeah. It's just like so ridiculously detailed for a so- for a part, you know, and just like all over. And it goes, really busy, but still like memorable. <laughs> and then that chill bossa nova section with the uh, the harmony vocals on the outro of that song—it's just, yeah, yeah. It almost makes me hate it because it almost is a fade out, but it's not quite a fade out. Right. Why? Why do you hate fade outs? I'm just kind of. I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's irrational. It's a <laughs> we actually we actually made a song on we made a song on the new moon rabbits uh, 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 set of songs that we actually play a fade out just because of your comments about it. <laughs> I've, I've heard that and I'm not proud, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, man. We like what we like. You, you, you can you can hate fade outs if you want. <laughs> what what songs did you guys kind of cling to? Um, kind of. Rest in peace is definitely a solid one. I I I, I like that one a lot. Uh, we we kind of went we went through our analysis for the whole album. Um, like there's a a section that ends that rhythmic funk workout at the end of Cupid's Dead. Um, oh yeah, yeah that that that's pretty stellar. Um, but we also I don't know we talked a lot about like the Beatles influence of like Seven Sundays and uh, Stop the World and stuff like that. I mean they just yeah. you know actually yeah this is one where probably like the the big singles are actually kind of like some of my favorite songs on it. I mean because they're still like these really long kind of complicated songs 
it just happened to be the songs that were that got the video and the single and yeah you could have probably just as easily picked any other song from the record and said no we're gonna have this one be a single and a video but yeah uh, rest in peace and stop the world are like pretty you know i can go back to that anytime and for for pure shred peacemaker die probably has yeah dude (laughs) the big guitar one well i mean in in an album full of big guitar stuff that yeah when when i was when i was first listening to it the only reason i was listening to it was for the solos Mm -hmm. and so like for me rest in peace just grab me and then peacemaker die yeah Tragic comic's got some really cool ones. And uh am I ever gonna change? I'm a sucker for those like yeah Van when he stops into the solo kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's a bunch of like shout outs to other guitarists in this album. Yeah, there definitely is. And and to bands. There's there's a ton of Beatles shout outs on it. Um yeah. they're really good at making doing a really good job of quoting things in a like a non cheesy way, you know? Yeah. Yeah, where they're not ripping them off. They're just like, they're, they're paying tribute. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I, I've had, this album wasn't in like my top 10 by any means in high school or anything, but it definitely put a lot of time in my CD player in my 2002 S10 pickup. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, as I was telling Brian, I had it on cassette. <laughs> <laughs> So I actually had the version with the extra song. I just don't remember the extra song at all now. I think I picked it up for like two bucks at a like a some kind of pawn shop in Fort Dodge. Nice. nice. <laughs> Fort Dodge, Iowa for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> specification. Yeah, we do we do have some out of state listeners, so yeah, good specification. Uh yeah, don't go to Fort Dodge. <laughs> yeah yeah no that's good advice uh, and yeah that's funny because this is actually the first one where both the of the of all the albums we've talked about this is the first one where both brian and i like got it when it came out mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i'm young it's not my fault <laughs> oh i wasn't particularly old yeah. when it came out <laughs> like, what year did this album come out I don't 1992 Okay, I would have been five. Wow. Okay, I was twelve. Mm-hmm. You had a lead on me. Yeah, I was. I was well, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I was in my twenties. I was. Uh, it was the <laughs> last year of my first marriage, and or no, I was dating Rachel at this point. I think in ninety two because we got married in ninety three. So. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so that's pretty. Very cool. different perspectives. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> If it wasn't for my buddy, I wouldn't have fallen in love with the whole 80s hair metal thing. Yeah. So I'm glad I did because there's some – I'm really glad you guys do this show. You guys have covered a bunch of gems that I think are awesome. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. What What are some other hair metal bands that you dig? Uh, Definitely Skid Row is up there. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, they're, they're on our short list too. <laughs> I, I like I like a lot of the really cheesy ones too, like uh, – White Lion and Slaughter and Firehouse. Yep. I love White Lion, dude. I think White Lion's great. That's yep. one of the best guitar players I've ever heard in my life. Yep. Same. Yeah. But I think as far as like what are the cool ones, I really like like Skid Row and Cinderella. Yeah. 
maybe I don't know. Is rat cool, or does that make me not cool thinking that they are cool? No, rat's cool. Uh, you are you are in the company of friends. We both right. like rat. Yeah. Okay. Well, those are kind of my go-to's anyway. I mean, the cool thing, dude, Rat didn't have any power ballads until like their fifth album. Yeah. They just didn't do them for the long time, and that was super awesome. It, one that I'm not quite as familiar with, but I still like a lot, would be like, you know, like, uh, Dokken. I, I yeah. always really like Dokken, but I don't know their material super well. And like, uh, oh, I can't think of. Anything else I'm still familiarizing that. myself with a lot of Dawkins, but I do. I the one we talked about is the one I've spent the most time with. Yeah, same. Yeah, their first like three or four albums are the ones I was most familiar with. Uh, I didn't. I didn't keep up with them then. I kind of moved on to other music, but uh, I kind of want to go back and listen to it because I really liked Dawkins a lot. So, back for the attack, I believe, is the one that has the one from uh, the Freddy Krueger movie. So you yeah. know, you should check that out again. Yeah. Yeah, and and you should check that one out, Jordan. Back for the attack is uh, that that has a guitar instrumental on it called Mister Scary. That's uh, oh yeah, that, that's dude. Uh, George Lynch's sort of like resume in a in a song, basically. <laughs> I've, I've heard a lot of it, and I might pick, I might recognize it, but I might not. I don't know. I'm not super familiar with them by any means. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely a worthy guitar player. He's he's in the same hollowed sort of ground as uh, Eddie Van Halen and Steve Vai and all those, and Randy. Absolutely. Rose. Didn't he have a lot of influence and or play for Ozzy? He auditioned for Ozzy. Yeah, yeah he, he auditioned yeah, he for Ozzy. He did audition. Yeah, he was going to play with, with Ozzy, but uh, then Randy Rhodes got it. Okay, that's how it worked. Okay. Yeah, but that's good company to be in. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think there's something special about Nuno Betancourt's playing. It's really cool. I do, too. Uh, yeah. I, I, it's... I, it's it's very particular too. Like you, I, I suspect you could spot him playing with just about anybody because, like, even among the, you know, among the virtuosos, he's got like his own very kind of particular sound to it. Yeah, I really like. He does it a lot in this album, and I don't think he can do it enough because I love it every time. But he does like the, it's a bluesy chord, like it's like a seventh, and it's just a half step up. But uh-huh. he's really he's picking really really fast, so it's like he's he's like doing the like the really really fast in between the half steps. Yeah, and it sounds really bluesy and mean, and he's getting real. It, I don't know. It sounds so cool to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I probably should have told this story during our segment, but uh, last year I got to see Nuno for the first and only time. Uh, he he played down in Des Moines at Hoyt Sherman with uh, they had a Generation X tour that Steve. Oh, yeah, I missed it. Yeah, Steve I put together, um, and and I mostly went for Nuno. In all honesty, I I had I've seen Steve I solo and stuff like that, but uh, and he he's he's pretty spectacular too. But I went for Nuno. What was on that? Who all was at that show? Played at that show. Uh, it was. Tosin was there, wasn't he? Who? Wasn't Tosin Abasi there? Yeah, from yeah, Leaders? yeah. And he was somebody I wasn't very familiar with, and he was great. He's the guitar player from Animals as Leaders. Um, yeah, he 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 was he blew me away. Zach Wild was there. Um, Ingve Malmstein was one of them. That's right. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty nice. Uh, yeah, Zach Wilde, of course, was was showboating in the biggest way. He was uh, uh, when it got to be his turn. He did a 
um, a cover of War Pigs and had his wireless unit. So he came up into the bleachers. I, I had balcony seats and he walked right past me up in the balcony. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> he, went, he went all the way up into the top of the balcony at Hoyt Sherman. So, uh, you know, and, and played like a 20 minute guitar solo on War Pigs. <laughs> Between Zach Wilde and Ingve, whose ego is bigger? <laughs> Ingve, any day of the week. Yeah, Ingve is pretty well documented as being pretty egotistical, I'd say. <laughs> that's how I would feel. I was just wondering if that's how it was uh, portrayed at the show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Zach's full of himself, but he's still having fun and Ingve is yeah. sort of like I'm I am full of myself and you should appreciate me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. kind of got that feeling. Uh Nuno came off as incredibly humble to me though. He uh That's so cool. Yeah, he he came he played second. Um he was only he's the second guy that played and I was surprised by that. I thought they would save him for later. Um but he came out and he did he talked for a little bit before he started playing and some of the other guys didn't do much of that. Um but he talked about how he didn't really know what to do. Um so he went on YouTube and found some kid that, that was that played like uh like the top five Nuno Betancourt riffs um on a YouTube video and he said that he decided that was gonna determine what he did. So he goes, he goes, yeah, he's like, so I'm just, he goes, I don't really, you know, I don't really do a solo stuff. I just play, you know, I'm going to play like my, my top five things that this kid decided. And if you don't like it, blame him. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he had a band with him. I mean, he had, they had like the Steve Vai band basically that played behind everybody. Um, and they did a uh, get the funk out, which I thought was kind of cool. Nice. That, That's such a good one. Yeah. Yeah, and Nuno sang that one, and he's got a killer voice. So, well, yeah, there's the, like every one of their songs has harmonies. I think. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and he did a "Flight of the Wounded Bumblebee" live, which blew my mind. Oh, that would be dope. <laughs> yeah, I feel like to me the of all the guitarists around the '80s and the '90s that. Nuno seems like down to earth and cool, and Paul Gilbert seems like down to earth and cool. Yeah, they're they're right up there for me too. Those are two of my favorites. I I would say. If you guys ever get the chance, you should go onto YouTube and see if you can find episodes of a a Japanese show called Rock Fujiyama. It was a a show that was hosted by uh, Marty Friedman from uh, Megadeth. Oh, and yeah. like, it would frequently have like another guitar player as the guest and Paul Gilbert guested on there multiple times. And it's just a really weird uh, rock and roll show of shredders hanging around doing shredder stuff. <laughs> Is that where the pulling the bunny out of the hat thing came from? I don't know. That might be. Okay. I'll have to, I'll send you links later because there's a silly thing, a uh, little skit that he does that Paul Gilbert does. That, <laughs> and I'm wondering. All right, yeah, send it to me. <laughs> so, would you say some of the hair metal stuff influenced your playing? You're kind of a shredder. Oh, for sure, definitely. Okay. I think it's the whole time I've been playing. Whenever, especially, I'm playing like lead guitar and not singing or whatever, but uh, I always try to find out how much 80s thread metal stuff I can fit into an indie movie song. 
Oh, that's great. That is cool. Length for a jazzy lick, you know, like before they call me out for being over the top. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In case the guitar police show up and say, excuse me, sir. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we clocked you doing 78 back there. <laughs> and if you're always doing 78, Right. It's not that cool. It took me a long right. time to learn that, but you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking. Yeah, of- I, I I play slappy stuff and things like that on an acoustic, as you guys know. But uh, whenever I'm on an electric guitar, like I got bluesy influence, but definitely this '80s stuff that you guys talk about is like where I where I really like to pour hours and hours into. <laughs> Uh, just out of curiosity, where are you calling from? It's a good question. Because <laughs> you're, you're, you're out on the road Somewhere or something, along right? the road. Yeah. yeah I'm, on a, I'm on a dirt road on H Ave. H Ave? <laughs> I'm probably like 10 miles south of Ogden. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're west of us. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yep. You're out in the middle of Ogden, nowhere. Uh, I helped my brother chop wood today oh, so, oh okay you're a good brother yeah we drank beer and chopped wood yeah that sounds like a good thing to do today yep it was really good yeah the weather was gorgeous today <laughs> yeah i could just tell you were from the road so i thought i'd ask no actually i'm not i'm not hearing the cars too much at all you, you can tell <laughs> that you're, you're calling in and it's remote and stuff like that but it, I, I don't know I, I don't hear anything in the background. All right. Well, there's been about 100 cars that have passed since I called. <laughs> yep. Everybody's nice and holed up. <laughs> yeah. this, this is another great thing while you're doing that during all this, too. You know, it's a, yeah. I love learning about 80s hair metal and especially from people that experienced it while it was rolling out, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And do that. All right, heck yeah, dude. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, we love it too. That's it. We're we're definitely pretty passionate about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very knowledgeable on the topic either. I just know like solos and riffs and stuff. Yeah. So when I when I hear you guys talk about really how uh, kind of small a world it is sometimes. Yeah. Being producers and guitarists or whatever. Yeah, there's like um, a, there's a number of different camps. It seems like. Yeah, I There's a little bit of crossover here and there, but for the most part, everybody sort of falls into uh, yeah, they have their people they like to work with. Can can we get a a sneak peek of what the next episode might be about? Yeah, you bet. And actually, that would be a good reminder to, for uh, our listeners because uh, our next episode is our tenth episode, which is the end of our first season. Um, so we're gonna do an all call in show. Oh, really? Yeah, we're going to have people call in, and we're just going to talk about hair metal the whole time with, with whoever wants to call in and talk about it. Like, if you're if, if anybody's been listening and been, like, sort of like, man, that sounds fun. I want to call in and talk about hair metal, too. Uh, this is, oh, yeah, you're certainly welcome yeah, to do so. Please, yeah, yeah. please do. Shoot us a, a message on our Facebook page or send us an email to hairmetalmemoriesiowa at gmail.com. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for asking. That helped us promote that. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I really like that idea. 
Yeah, we're going to do that and then wind it up. And then, uh, and I think we've been, we kind of go back and forth, uh, with episodes. It kind of depends on the guest and it kind of depends on what we're feeling. But, uh, we've been talking a lot lately about, uh, Eat 'em and Smile by David Lee Roth. Oh, nice. Cause we haven't, we haven't covered Steve I yet as a guitar player. And that seems, and we haven't, I don't know. Van Halen doesn't really qualify necessarily as hair metal. It doesn't feel like yeah. they kind of, they kind of were their own thing and were there before all of this stuff. Everybody was, it feels like hair metal is kind of like a Van Halen imitation group of, in terms of like a genre. Yeah. I hear you coming from there. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of a single hair metal band that doesn't have Van Halen influence. Right. Right. That seems to be, yeah. So it doesn't seem fair to cover them. They're not really hair metal themselves. It's like everybody that tried to be like Van Halen is what hair metal is about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I also think the, the Collins idea is really cool because not a lot of us hair metal fans wear it with the badge of honor out in the open. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. To be it's able a- to learn which of our friends and or people in our community are also hidden secret hair metal fans. Yeah. Yeah. I like that too, because it, it was sort of like, well, I mean, just in the name, you can, you can kind of hear it sneering at you. It's kind of a derogatory term. Yeah. <laughs> like polka or something, you know? Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, shoegaze has that sort of distinction too, where it was, it's one of those terms that like was meant to be a derogatory term for it, for it. Um, and then the bands that, that, you know, ended up, being called that um all ended up being good bands and ended up being like you know later on much later on being like you know sort of uh you know influential in a lot of things and i and i that's kind of like the theme of our show really is we want to reclaim the term hair metal and make it not so derogatory because there's some great music made you know yeah dude there's a lot of good stuff out there in it (laughs) rest in peace is in there right <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, there you go, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for calling in, Jordan. We greatly appreciate you taking the time and pulling off the side of the road to talk to us. <laughs> and uh it's really, it's really beautiful. I'm in the middle of a bunch of Iowa cornfields and it's you know, six o'clock and the sun's up and it's gorgeous. So yeah, nice. Just, I love it. Nice. And uh, yeah, no problem. And if anybody wants to check out Jordan's music, is it is it bluejack.bandcamp.com? Is that right? You got it. All right. Yeah. Check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. It's uh, not a lot of hair metal in it. It's more of how would you, how, how would you describe it? Sort of uh, um, kind of Tom Waits meets hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. That's not bad. That's not better bad. than anything I come up with. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're checking out. Okay. Well, thanks again, Jordan, and uh, and we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks a lot for listening to Hair Metal Memories. Um, remember the call-in show. Remember to stick around after the show if you want to participate in our contest. Uh, we're going to be playing the theme to the Hair Metal Memories. If you can name all the guitar solo sections in it, we'll send you a prize. Um, thanks for tuning in. We'll we'll talk to you guys later. See you later, everybody. Bye.